Amen. Well, if you'll turn with us tonight to the book of Job, Job chapter number 1, and I'll say while you're turning, it's a privilege to be back in the house of God, and I've enjoyed the singing. Y'all have great singing. Amen. I mean that. Uh, what I'm, to me, what great singing is is when it's got the touch of God on it. Amen. And I like the old songs that y'all sing. I tell you, we, we need them old songs. Amen. It's got a message to them. That's, that song, I mean, all the songs have, but that song has a message. I'll stand with Jesus and let the world go by. Amen. And uh, I like that. I appreciate His presence. And i just been thankful for what God has allowed us to be a part of and love your pastor and his family. What a blessing they've been to us. If you're able to stand with us tonight, Job chapter number 1, I will read a few verses of Scripture out of chapter 1 have prayer and then you can be seated. Job chapter number one. I will begin reading in verse number one. Job chapter one and verse number one. The Bible said there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camel and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses and a very great household, that, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come in your presence once again tonight. Lord, as we come to the throne of grace and mercy, we do come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the singing. We thank you tonight for the privilege to be here. And I pray, God, that you'll help us these next few moments. Give us liberty. I pray, Father, that you'll speak to us and speak through us tonight. Help us, Lord, just to yield ourselves to be uh, an instrument and a tool in thy hand. And, oh, God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to listen. Father, I pray that you'll do the work that only you can do. And we'll love you and we'll praise you and we'll thank you. For we ask it in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to draw your attention to verse number 5 here in just a moment. But on the outset of this message, I want you to notice that I think that when you come to the book of Job, and of course we're all familiar with Job's story, we're all familiar with his life, we're all familiar with his trials and what he faced and what he went through. And I really don't want to emphasize that tonight, but what I want you to see is that the early verses of this chapter, the verses that we have read tonight, are different from any other passage of Scripture in the entire book of Job. What I mean by that is that these five verses that we have read, there is no trials in Job's life. When you come to these verses here tonight, everything is smooth sailing. Everything is going good. Everything is going wonderful. And so these verses are separated from the rest of the verses in the entire book of Job simply because there is no sorrow, there is no suffering, there is no, uh, there is no sadness in Job's life in these first five verses here. Personally, I think the greatest verse of <clears throat> the entire book of Job is verse number one. Now, that would just be my opinion tonight. And the reason for that, you say, well, Preacher, that's an introductory verse to, to this book. What would make it so great? What makes it so great tonight is that I'm amazed how that God can say so much about one man in just one verse of Scripture. Amen? And what we see in these five verses tonight is that the Bible tells us in verse number 1 here, it tells us what kind of a man Job was. In verse number 1, we see that Job was a perfect man. The Bible tells us that, that there was a man that lived in the land of us whose name was Job, and the 
the Bible says that he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, do we know the word perfect tonight does not mean that he was sinless. Amen. It doesn't mean that he was above sin or anything like that, that he could not sin. But what it means is that he reached full maturity in his Christian life. Amen. Now, that's amazing within itself because Job didn't have a Bible. Amen. Job being the oldest book of the Bible, he did not have a Bible. Job did not have a church to go to. Job did not have a pastor. Amen. So how can a man that doesn't have a Bible, he doesn't have a pastor, he doesn't have a church to go to, how can he be full, reach full maturity in his Christian life? Well, the answer is in verse number 1. The Bible said that he was one that feared God and eschewed evil. Amen. Do you know tonight that's the key to the Christian life? The Bible said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen. So Job, even though he didn't have a Bible, even though he didn't have a church, even though he didn't have a pastor, he knew that if he would fear God and stay away from evil, like she sung about, just stand for God and let the world go by, Job knew that he could be what God had intended and wanted him to be. So we know that Job was a perfect man. And the Bible tells us in verse number 1 that God knew a lot about Job. Amen. He knew his place. The Bible said there was a man that lived in the land of us. Amen. Now, I wonder how many people here tonight knows where us was. Amen. I promise you, most of us would have to say, well, I don't know where us was. Amen. But God knew where us was. Amen. God knew his place. God knew his address. And I would say tonight that if you consider all that Job is going to face and all that Job is going to have to go through, it may not mean a lot to us, but it meant a whole lot to Job to know that God knew where he was. He knew where he lived at. He knew his place. Amen. And then he knew his person. Notice the Bible says here that there was a man that lived in the land of us whose name was Job. Amen. So God didn't just know where he lived, but God knew who he was. Amen. He knew his person. Now, I want to say tonight, if God knew his place and God knew his person, then guess what? He knows where I live. Amen. He knows who I am tonight. Thank God I'm not a statistic in heaven. Amen. God works on an individual basis. Amen. And so he knew his place. He knew his person. But then in verse number one, I see that God knew his priorities. Amen. The Bible said that he was perfect. He was upright. He was one that feared God. And he eschewed evil. Now God knew every bit about that, about that concerning Job. And he told us all that in just one verse. You know what that tells me? God knew his priorities. And if God knew the priorities of Job, he knows our priorities tonight. He knows how serious we are about serving God. He knows how committed we are tonight. He knows where our priorities are, what's most important to us, where our heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What that means is, what we spend the most time doing, what we invest the most money in, what what drives us, what, what motivates us the most, that's where our heart is at. Amen? And Job's heart was with God. And so Job was a perfect man. And then in verse number 2 and 3, we see that Job was a prosperous man. God had been good to him, hadn't he? And God had blessed Job in three areas. He had blessed him in verse number 1. He had prospered in verse number 1 in his faith. And then he prospered in verse number 2 with his family, seven sons and three daughters. 
And then he had prospered in his finances. Amen. The Bible talks about his cattle. The Bible talks about his, uh, the Bible talks about his she asses. The Bible talks about his, uh, yoke of oxen. Amen. Men were known, their prosperity was known by their cattle in Bible days, by, by their abundance of, of livestock and those things. And so, uh, God had blessed him, but don't miss this. The blessings of Job's, the prosperity of Job's, it began in its proper order. It was his faith first, his family second, and then his finances. Amen. Because Job was a man that had his priorities right, God had blessed him. How many people today sitting in church, they've got their priorities mixed up. Amen. Their faith is important to them, but family is more important than their faith. Uh, maybe, listen, uh, they, they, they would take off and go somewhere and do something with family rather than go to the house of God. They just lay out of church sometimes. Hey, they got their priorities mixed up. Amen. I'm not saying family's not important, but our relationship with God ought to be number one on our list. Amen. And then certainly finances is important. We've got to have finances to operate. If a man don't work, he don't eat, the Bible says, or he should not eat. Amen. And so the Bible teaches us that, that it's important. And I thank God for a good job, don't you? You thank God for that job he has blessed you with. But I'll tell you, that's not number one on the list. Amen. Uh, listen, that's just a tool to live life. Uh, and many people have made a, a priority to make a living, but they don't make a life. Amen. So Job was a prosperous man, and Job was a perfect man. But verse number five is where we want to preach at tonight. I want you to see here that Job was a praying man. Job's praying in verse five. And he's not just praying, but he's praying about something in particular. It's what I want to preach on tonight. Job in verse number five is praying for his children. And I want to preach a few minutes tonight on the importance of praying for your children. You see, tonight it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter if your children are grown or if they're gone from home or if they're still living at home tonight. I want to tell you something. They're never too young to pray for them and they're never too old to pray for them. And as long as there's breath in our body tonight, we ought to pray for our children. There may be somebody here tonight, you say, well, preacher, I don't have children, so this message is not for me. Oh, that's not true tonight. Even though you may not have children, you ought to find somebody else's children that need to be prayed for. You ought to pray for the young people, the youth group in your church. You ought to pray for the, the children in the church. You ought to call their names out in prayer. If there's ever been a generation that's crying out and that needs our prayers, it's a generation that we're, uh, for my friend, living and seeing tonight. I'm talking about this is a generation that, listen, they don't need higher education. They don't need more prosperity. They don't need more money. I'm going to tell you what this generation needs. They need some old-fashioned prayers to be ascended up on their behalf. Uh, and Job is Praying for his children tonight. I want to give you these thoughts tonight. You know, it'd be amazing the people that are sitting in churches. They don't even pray for their own children. They don't pray for their grandchildren tonight. You say, preacher, why would that be? Because praying involves some things. And in verse number five, I want you to see what praying for your children involves. Number one, I want you to see tonight that praying for your children, I see here that, that it involves, when you come to this verse tonight, it involves sanctification. The Bible said it was so that when the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and he sanctified them. 
Now, how do you sanctify your children in prayer? We know that the word sanctify means to set apart. Isn't that right? It means to set them apart. And so Job is setting his children apart in prayer. You say, preacher, how do you set your children apart in prayer? You do that by praying for them specifically. Amen. You see, it doesn't matter if you have one child or if you have ten children tonight or if you have three children. They're all individuals within themselves. Isn't that right? You can't pray uh, for the, the same for this one that you would for that one. You've got to pray according to their needs. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? That we're to pray specific prayers. We're, we're to pray for them according to their needs. And so Job sanctified them in prayer, meaning that he set each one of them apart and he prayed for them based on who they was uh, and what their needs were in their life. Amen. Now I think there ought to be some things that we uh, pray for our children about specifically. I think we ought to pray for their salvation specifically. Isn't that right? We ought to pray that they would come to, to the to the age of accountability. We ought to pray that they would get born again. Maybe your child is, is grown and, and that they're out living out from the home and they're not sane. You ought to pray for their salvation every day. Amen. I'll tell you what happens a lot of times in our churches. We'll carry a burden for our children until they get saved. And then after they get saved, if we're not careful, we'll wipe our brow and say, boy, I'm glad that's over with. But I'll tell you something. The battle don't end when they get saved. The battle just begins. And if they ever need your prayers... They need them as much after they get saved as they did before they get saved. Amen. The devil don't give up just because they get born again. He has a will. He has a plan for their life. He has goals and ambitions for their life every bit as much as God does and you do. And he wants to wreck and ruin if he can't drag their soul to hell. That he wants to bring as much misery and shame as he can in their life. So we ought to pray for their salvation. But we ought to pray for their spirituality. Amen. We ought to pray that they'll grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christ. Uh, don't take for granted just because they come to church and just because they go to Sunday school and just because they hear the preaching of the Word of God that everything's going to be okay. You ought to want more for your children than them just to miss the flames of hell. But you ought to pray that they'll give, that they'll grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and that they'll have a working knowledge of the Bible, a personal prayer life, and that they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. You ought to pray for their spirituality. You ought to pray for their safety. These are perilous times. Sad to say, and I hate to make this statement, but it's true in any church. It's true in the church that I pastor. It's true in this church. But to every mom and dad, there was a time when it wasn't this way, but you can't even trust your children in church with church people nowadays. Isn't that right? You don't know who, what kind of background people have. These are perilous times. So we're to pray for their safety. You say, but my child is never out of my sight. I want to tell you, but sometimes you could turn your back and who knows what could happen. But praying for their safety, you never know what a day may bring forth as it is in the life of Job. Job prayed for their safety, I believe. And perhaps the only reason why Job may have had no regrets in this text concerning his children is because he had prayed for them that morning before they had went to the grave. I'm simply saying this. uh, We ought to pray for their spirituality. We ought to pray for their safety. We ought to pray for their service. Amen. Amen. We ought to pray that our children would serve God all the days of their life. You know, it bothers me that we're living in a society now. And I'm I'm not talking about the world when I say that. I'm talking about in Christendom. We're living in a society today. I remember whenever I got right or got saved and, and, and was growing up. People were praying that their children would, would still, they were still praying they would be missionaries. 
praying that God would call them to preach or that they would marry a preacher, uh, that if it was a, a young lady, that they would marry a preacher and be a preacher's wife. And somewhere as we got off course, uh, we started hearing statements. I remember people saying, well, everybody can't be a preacher and everybody can't be a missionary. And I understand that. There's nothing wrong with them getting a good education, uh, a pastor. Nothing wrong with them going to college. And I'm not against that. And I agree with that. But I'll tell you, now we're reaping the results of a generation that didn't ask God, would you call my son to preach? Would you send him to the mission field? Would you let him be a godly deacon? Uh, Listen, nothing wrong with education in its right place. But what I'm saying is we need some missionaries. We need some evangelists. We need some preacher wives. Uh, We need another generation that will lay their children on the altar as Hannah did and pray that God will let them be a Samuel, that God would use them. I'm simply saying tonight we ought to pray. Uh, We ought to sanctify them in prayer and pray that God will use them in the service of God. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. When Taylor went to China, there was 12 providences in China that had not one gospel preaching missionary. Taylor set China on fire. He's probably the greatest missionary since the Apostle Paul. When he went there, there was not one preacher in those in those twelve providences. He started praying the first year when his wife and him went back that God would give them just one preacher in every providence. God did more than that. By the end of that year, there was there was twenty four missionaries that God had surrendered, or they had surrendered, and that God was sending with Hudson Taylor to China through the China Inland Mission. Within another year, there was seventy, and with another year, there was another ninety that had went. And when Hudson Taylor died in 1905, 864 men and their wives had surrendered to China to be missionaries. And China had been turned upside down. And ten years later, after Hudson Taylor's death, another it, the number had reached 967. Why? I'm going to tell you why. We all know who Hudson Taylor is. We all know about the great missionary to China. But what most people don't know is that when Taylor was four years old, he stood up on the coffee table in his home. And as a four-year-old boy, he said to his father and his mother, when I become a man, I'm going to be a missionary and go to China. And the reason that Taylor said that was because Taylor had a godly father who had a burden for China. And his father would pray, God, would you send somebody? Would you send my son? And he spoke so much about China that even as a four-year-old boy that didn't really know what he was talking about, but yet it was providentially, my friend, in his life... Why? Because he had a father that had a burden and said, God, if it's my son, here he is. Would you send him? I'm talking about praying for our children in service. Amen. We need that, don't we? There could be a Hudson Taylor sitting here tonight. And the only thing that may stand between that could be the prayers of a father or a mother. We ought to sanctify. It involves sanctification. Then I see that it involves sacrifice. Notice what he said here. He said that Job sent and sanctified them. And notice he said he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job is sacrificing two things in that verse I want you to see. First of all, he's sacrificing his time. He rose up early in the morning. Then he's sacrificing his treasures. And the Bible said that he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. I'm going to tell you, praying for your children involves sacrifice. You gotta take the time to pray for them. You have to make the time to pray for them. Pray for them early in the morning because you don't know what the day may hold. 
What if Job would have waited till evening time to pray for his children? What if he had waited till the sun set? It'd have been too late. And Job rose up early in the morning. I think about them boys. I, they didn't have alarm clocks back then. I don't know where they lived. If they lived close to their father, maybe they lived on a part of that farm as great as it was. He was the greatest man in all of the east. So maybe they lived on that farm. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But if they lived on that farm, I often wondered if maybe what woke them boys up in the morning time, maybe it was the smell of those ashes. Maybe it was the smell of that smoke that was coming off that altar. Maybe that's what woke them up every morning, reminding them that Daddy had been in the secret place and Daddy had been calling their name out. I wonder if they could step out on their porch or step out over the hilltop and see that smoke ascending up into the heavens knowing that their dad had been praying. Does your children know that you pray for them? Do you sacrifice the time to pray for your children? Do you sacrifice it tonight? You see, Job didn't roll out of a comfortable bed, preacher. And walk through a climate control home. And get a cup of coffee and sit down in a recliner. And with a Bible in his lap. And pray for his children. Oh no. There's a lot more sacrifice than that. Job had a path that led to the barn. And Job went out to that stable, that barn, corral, whatever it would be. And when he'd get one of those animals. And he would take that animal and he had another path that led to the altar. And Job would take that animal... And he would take it over to that altar. And he would gather the wood and he would chop the wood and, and he would put that wood around the altar. And then he would take that knife and he would slit that animal's throat. He would drain all that blood out. He would quarter that animal out and he would put it on that altar. And he would take that blood and put it on that altar. And then he would set, he would set that altar or set that uh, wood on fire. And he would burn the sacrifice as the sacrifice would ascend up into the heavens. Uh, and listen, Job did not have the Levitical law. He didn't know. Uh, listen, what the law had not been given yet. But Job would sacrifice that animal. And when that animal was consumed with the fire and it was nothing but ashes was laying there, Job would rake those ashes off. He would clean that altar up. And then Job would go back to the barn and he would get another animal and he would bring it back and would go through the same process all over again. He didn't do it just one time. He didn't just do it two times. He didn't do it just five times, but ten times. The Bible said he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. In other words, it wasn't just general praying for Job. Now, God bless all of my children. Be good to all of my children. Oh, no. He would put that animal on that sacrifice and he would say, God, this is for Tommy and this is for his needs today and then he would put another one on and he would go through that process and he would say now this is for Timmy and every day one by one he sacrificed the time he sacrificed the treasures for each and every one of his children amen in fact I personally think that the reason God had blessed him so much in verse number 3 with all those animals because he knew what he was doing with them in verse number 5. Amen. You can't outgive God. Amen. I think every time we put one on the altar, God let two be born in the barn. Amen. Amen. You're not going to outgive God. No one, He's not going to sacrifice more than what God would sacrifice. And God had blessed him. And it involves sacrifice. I wonder this afternoon, do we sacrifice the time? The tears. He said, but preacher... You don't know. I get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to work. I know what four o'clock in the morning looks like. Amen. 
It looks like two cups of coffees and bags under your eyes. Amen. But it's worth praying for. It involves sanctification. It involves sacrifice. And then notice this. It involves sobriety. Look what Job said here. He said it may be that they have cursed God in their hearts. What drove Job to his altar, what drove Job to his knees, was the sobering thought that the next casualty could be one of my children. And if you really want to know how spiritual of a man Job was, look what he said. He didn't say his children had cursed God, that they had sinned. But he said it may be that they have, my sons have sinned and have cursed God. And notice that area Job talks about in their hearts. You see, Job realized there's a part of my children that I cannot see. Everything may look good on the outside. They may tell me everything that I want them to say. They may be doing everything that they're supposed to do. You may be here tonight and say, well, preacher, my children are in church and they love God and they sing in the choir and and they go to Sunday school and, and, and everything. Everything looks great on the outside. Yes, there's always that one part that you and I can't see. I want to tell you something, friend. That one part we can't see, that's the most important part. Amen. That part that I don't see in the life of my children that only God sees and only they can see, that's the most important part. Nobody commits a sin with their body that what they don't first commit it in their mind and in their heart. No one makes a decision to do something on the outward side. There's no action that is taking place on the outwardness that we see that what at first wasn't lurking in the crevices of their soul. And Job was a spiritual man. Job was not a man that, that listen, made decisions based on the outwardness. Job was a man that was always doing an inventory on the inside. What I'm saying tonight is just because everything looks okay. Your pastor can say this. As a pastor, I can say this. There's been a lot of Moms and dads that have sat down in my office and they've cried their eyes out over their children. And they've said, I don't know where I went wrong. I didn't see this coming. How many times have we heard that? You say, but preacher, my children are doing good. They are today. What about tomorrow? The sobering thought... What if your child was the next teenage pregnancy? What if your children, what if your son did get a divorce? Brother Gravely, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, one of the most shocking things that I ever experienced was I was preaching in a little church in North Carolina. And a man that had been married for, I don't know, he was 85 years old. Married the same woman since they were 18, 19, 20 years old. He came by and he usually, if I'm up in that area, he'll come to the meeting, always smiling. But I did notice that night while I was preaching. He sat there. He was not smiling. In fact, he was weeping. And I thought, something is wrong. And as I stood at the back door shaking hands, he came by and he shook my hand. He said, please pray for my wife. I thought maybe she had some kind of physical problem or something like that. I said, I sure will. And I said, I said, what's wrong with her? And he said, she left me. I'm not talking about somebody 40 years old. 85 years old. We said, well, preacher, how is that possible? I'm going to tell you how it's possible. The devil never quits, friend. 
I care how good their marriage looks today. Tomorrow could be a different story. So I preach, I don't like to think that way. I don't either. That's why. That is the tool that causes us to pray. Most of the mishaps in their home is simply because we take things for granted. And I see here that it involves sanctification. It involves sobriety. It involves sacrifice. But then let me give you this last thought. It involves steadfastness. What the Bible said in verse number 5, Thus did Job continually. You know what? What we read about in these verses, Job's not doing this because there's tragedy. He's not doing this because he's received bad news. He's not under a burden for his kids because one of them is going through something. No, this is what Job did every day. This was what, this was, thus did Job, he was steadfast. I think if there's anything children need to see, young people, and I'm saying children, but you know, your child may be 40 years old, but they're still your child. Tonight, if there's anything that they need to see in our life, they need to see consistency. Isn't that right? You know, you can whip a child, but if you're not consistent, it's not going to do any good. Isn't that right? You can take a child to church and take them to church. It's wonderful. But if it's not consistent, it's not going to do any good. You say, well, I pray for my kids when they, when they ask me. I pray for them when they, when they go. But I'm going to tell you something. If it's going to do any good, it's going to have to be consistent. You have to have a burden for them every day. You have to call their names out in the morning times. Pray for them. I know a man, all of his children are serving God. Most of them are up in their 60s and 70s. He's 90, 94, I think, 95 years old. Pastor of the same church, 66 years. And I remember when I was a teenager, of course, his children were a lot older than I am. They're all grown. And I remember when I was a teenager, he stood up and preached one day in a service and preached one of the greatest messages I ever heard on how to raise your children for the Lord. And what I got out of that message, I remember listening to it several times down through the years, but what I got out of the message that stood out in my mind more than anything was that his wife died when he was just a young man, left him with five children. And he said to himself as he was sitting there at the hospital, his greatest fear was, how in the world am I going to raise five children without my wife? And he made a commitment to God. He said, God, for every hour that I'm awake, he said, I'm going to pray on the hour for my children. He said, I didn't do that because I was spiritual. He said, I did that because I knew that if my children served God, it would only be by prayer. So he said on the hour, he said, I didn't stop what I was doing. He said, I didn't, I didn't pray these big long prayers or these, it's these prayers that would impress anybody. But he said, on every hour, he said, whenever it would come, he said, I would pray, oh, God bless Tim. God bless Sarah. God bless you. He said, I would just pray. He said, I constantly carried the burden to the fact that he said if I woke up in the night he said when I would wake up the first thing that would come to my mind is to pray for my children and I thought about as a as a young man listening to that I didn't have children at the time but I thought if my children are going to live for God it's going to have, it's going to take prayer it's going to take, we ought to give them instructions and we give them all these different things and it's wonderful and I'll tell you the most consistent thing that your children and my children need to know about us they need to know that we pray for them it's good to have the pastor pray for you. It's good to have a praying Sunday school teacher. But I'll tell you, if your children, if they pillow their head tonight, they ought to know. They ought to know you pray for them. I, I think the greatest thing you can say to your children is I'm praying for you. I tell them that often. It may only be a cliche to them. I, I don't know. I don't never ask them. I think they, they know that I mean it, but I'll tell you if there's anything 
when it comes my time to leave this life and if they walk by my casket, if there's anything I want them to know, I want them to know that I have prayed for them. That they were on my mind, that, that they stayed on my heart, and that, that, that it was something that, I tell you, I'd rather pray for them as to preach a sermon. I, I wouldn't want to fail. There have been a lot of areas I've failed God in. Now listen, I don't want to spend my days uh, running up and down the road and preaching to people, and then all the while forget to pray for my very own. I'm telling you tonight, the most precious thing you have outside your salvation is your family unit tonight. And as much as we ought to pray for our companion, and we should, our children, need to know that mom and dad prays for them. Do they know that about you tonight? Then I ask you this final question. I wonder how many people in this building you could get a prayer through for your children. I find myself, I have three grandchildren. We have three three grandchildren. And uh, you pray for them. They're all, all three of them as mean as a rattlesnake. I mean, they just are. Just the way they are. Amen. One of them won't eat nothing, and the other one will eat you if you let him. Amen. <laughs> Two of them will eat you. But uh, I find myself doing this, preacher, and I didn't think I would. I didn't think anything about it. I find myself praying the same prayers for those grandchildren that I was praying for my girls when they were growing up. It worked for them, so maybe it'll work for them. But it dawned on me one day, you never stop carrying that burden. You're always going to carry that burden. And tonight I ask you this question as we stand. They get us a song ready.